0: Flames are pouring
1: from the buildings now. There's cars toppled. Buildings and town just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are are in ruin. I I see some people running now.
0: In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the fire and water podcast a proud member of the fire and water podcast network i'm one of your hosts the irredeemable shag along with me as always is my co-host the ghost like rob kelly hello rob how are you
1: i'm fine shag how are you
0: okay this really isn't working folks here's the deal our lawyers have advised us that until the contract negotiations are complete we are not to record together Normally, that isn't a problem. In fact, it makes me kind of happy. Rob records his first issue special episodes while I record a Justice League International episode. However, we both felt like we've let the monthly review episodes go for too long. Therefore, this time out, we're doing our monthly reviews, but we're each going to record our own individual segments. Rob's going to cover the water, Aquaman number 4 through 6, while I cover the fire, Legends of Tomorrow number 6 featuring Firestorm. So you're going to get the both of us in one episode, just not necessarily together. Which makes our lawyers very happy, and quite frankly, it'll save me the usual antiseptic scrub I do after each recording with Rob.
1: Ha ha, that's a good one.
0: Now, before we get much further, we need to take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Firewater Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now for this episode, I started thinking about, since I'm covering Legends Tomorrow, which features Jerry Conway writing Firestorm, I wanted to do something featuring all those elements as well. So I picked one that I think all of you will agree with is fantastic, and if you don't own it already shame on you, you've got to pick it up. It's Crisis on Multiple Earths trade paperback, volume number 6. Now this collects the JSA, JLA, annual team-ups uh, that were in the Justice League comics, which are fantastic. In fact, this one collects Justice League of America, number 195 to 197, which is the Secret Society supervillain storyline, which is awesome. And then JLA number 207 and 209, and All-Star Squadron 14 to 15, which is of course Crisis on Earth Prime, which is an amazing team-up between the Justice League, the Justice Society, and the All-Star Squadron. I think it's probably just about every nerd's favorite uh, team up from the 80s, or at least one of their favorite team ups. So, Writers Jerry Conway in the Justice League issues, Roy Thomas on the All-Star Squadron issues, art by George Perez, covers by George Perez. George Perez did the trade paperback cover as well. Total page count, 208 pages, full color. This thing is beautiful. Normally retails for $19.99. You can get it on in-stock trades right now for 45% off, so it'll only cost you $10.99. So, Rob... What trade paperback did you pick?
1: All right. Well, this week, uh, there is a new issue of Tomorrow's Back Issue magazine, and it is an all horror-related issue. And I am lucky enough to have an article in it uh, about the Phantom Stranger team-ups. But there's a lot of other great stuff in there. There's an article about the Witching Hour, some Marvel monsters, and a whole lot of stuff on Swamp Thing. And as everyone knows... I love Swamp Thing. I pretty much love every iteration of Swamp Thing. So the one I'm going to be talking about is the original version by Lynn Ween and Bernie Wrightson. This book is Roots of the Swamp Thing trade paperback. It reprints the first 13 issues uh, of the original series plus House of Secrets number 92. And again, it's by Lynn Ween, Bernie Wrightson, and Nestor Redondo. The normal price is $29.99. In stock trades price is $17.39. Since That's 42% off. These are some of the greatest comics of all time. They hold up so well. I reread them every so often, and they're just amazing. So Roots of the Swamp Thing, Trade Paperback, uh, Volume 1.
0: Wow, that's such a great book. What a great pick, Rob. Really, really, really good choice. So folks, remember for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit instocktrades.com. Now, Rob's going to go ahead and cover Aquaman. Then we'll take a podcast promo break and play some commercials for our friends. And when we come back, I'll cover Firestorm and Legends of Tomorrow.
1: Yes, yeah, Shag, thank you very much. Uh, we're here to talk about Aquaman issues four through six. We're a little behind on the issue recaps. The uh, whole weekly schedule can really be a bitch. Anyway, uh, this is Aquaman Part 4, Part 5, and Part 6 of The Drowning, written, of course, by Dan Abnett, featuring uh, some different artists. We'll get to that in a moment. So Part 4, uh, where we left Aquaman in issue number 3, he allowed himself to be arrested when it seemed as though that the uh, Atlantis had sunk a Navy ship. And he knows, of course, that uh, Atlantis didn't do it, or at least the Atlantis uh, that he commands, but he decided to let himself be arrested that way to sort of broker the peace and, and have a, a bit of a stand down between him and the U.S. government. So that's where issue number four picks up. It is drawn by Philip Philippe Brions and colored by Gabe Eltiab. Uh, Aquaman allows himself to be arrested and imprisoned, thinking it will tamp down the escalating tensions between Atlantis and the U.S. government. Mira consults with Tula, who is investigating the situation from their home base. The mysterious group, known as Nemo, headed by a woman named Blackjack, uh-huh, transports Black Mana to meet their leader. Mira, tired of waiting for the service world to see the truth, breaks Aquaman out of prison. They escape long enough to find themselves surrounded by armed forces, all of whom are pointing their weapons at our heroes." Uh, That's basically said the big overview of the fourth issue. Uh, In terms of the stuff that I liked about it, uh, I feel that Abnet is sort of clearly channeling real-world events in both Britain and the United States with Aquaman's discussion about how a small subset of Atlanteans fear change and have turned angry and violent. Uh, Aquaman seems sympathetic uh, to these people, but all that has to be set aside when Mira comes charging in. Uh, I like the idea that Mira is sort of uh, less less political uh, than her husband which is sort of funny considering she was the one put in charge of being the ambassador on spindrift station you would think she would actually be a little more so uh, but that's kind of an inversion of the way it typically was in the old aquaman comics mira was more the peacemaker and aquaman was the hothead here it's kind of reversed and so she finally gets tired of aquaman sort of being a patsy for the u.s government and bring breaks into the uh, government facility and breaks him out. I mean, he's sitting there with his cuffs on the whole time. He could obviously shatter them in a moment, but she finally gets tired of it. And there's a great shot drawn by Philippe Rion of her just yanking the prison door off of its hinges and sort of getting Aquaman, you know, telling Arthur, come on, you know, sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, man up. we got to get out of here. And then, of course, the final page of the issue is them surrounded by all of the uh, government agents and stuff. I did mention this, uh, I think, when we covered number three, I forget, maybe Shag did, but anyway, Dan Abnett, of course, has chosen Blackjack as the moniker for this new villain. Uh, for anyone who knows the uh, fans of the Golden Age Aquaman, Blackjack was, of course, the moniker of pretty much the only recurring bad guy the Earth 2 slash Golden Age Aquaman ever faced. Uh, as a bad guy, he was a pretty miserable failure, uh, and this version has already outperformed her namesake by managing to break Black Mana out. You can only assume this was on purpose. Dan Abnett knows his Aquaman history, so I thought that was a nice little uh, little gag. Um, regarding uh, again, Philip Brion's work he did the last issue um, I liked it a lot more this time around all the scenes in Atlantis with Tula are filled with a lot of visual invention there's a lot of like really cool uniforms and backgrounds all the stuff Tula looks really cool and kind of her battle armor sort of thing that she's got going on I like the idea that she's running Atlantis in Mira's stead I think that's a really cool idea uh, I really uh, I hope uh, I think I've mentioned before that I'd like to see Tula become Aquagirl, like full-on Aqua Girl. I think we're sort of heading in that direction. Facially-wise, Philip Jones is kind of better at Mira than he is Aquaman. Aquaman looks sort of kind of the same from panel to panel, no matter what's going on. But Mira, he kind of allows exaggerated facial expressions, which I really kind of like. It reminded me a bit of Kevin Maguire. Uh, I'm not going to say, you know, it's to that level because Maguire was a master at that. But there are some panels where Mira looks kind of almost like a Mad Magazine sort of caricature which I actually kind of liked I thought that was really cool I don't know if he's got quite the handle on Aquaman yet but the rest of it looked pretty good and he knows how to stage uh, action sequences pretty well so overall I thought it was a pretty good issue Um, I liked the cover by Brad Walker all the covers are by Brad Walker Um, obviously Brad Walker can't do a monthly book he because he's uh, he's not doing a monthly book. He's not even doing a bi-weekly book. So he's at very least doing the covers. And so far I've liked his covers very much. The cover for number four is just a close-up of Aquaman breaking his, uh, his wrist chains. He's got like 19 pairs of cuffs on. So I enjoy that cover a lot. His stuff reminds me a little bit of kind of Michael Golden. Uh, in kind of uh, the sort of highly detailed but cartoony style. And for those of you that uh, like Michael Golden the way I do. You know that that is a really big compliment. So uh, that's issue number four of Aquaman. So we're going to move right on to issue number five. It features yet another cover, again, by Brad Walker of Aquaman and Mira engaged uh, in a fight with the these army ranger guys. I love it. It's a really great action shot. One of the uh, soldiers, uh, it looks like he has some sort of, uh, it says Walker on his helmet. I don't know if that's supposed to indicate that that's the character's name or that's just where Brad Walker signed it. But anyway, I really like the cover. It's Aquaman, like, scrunching a uh, a tank cannon. With his bare hands and Mira deflecting bullets, it's really terrific. I Really, really enjoy it. So anyway, uh, this issues is that this is part five. Uh, the uh, the art again is by Philippe Riones and the colors are by Gabe Eltieb. Having been freed by Mira from a government detention center, Aquaman and Mira find themselves face to face with a small army, literally, already to fire upon our heroes. Uh, when they are fired upon, Mira is ready to respond with lethal force, but Aquaman still tries to keep things from getting too out of hand. Despite being outnumbered, the soldiers don't pose much of a threat, leaving Aquaman and Mirror enough room to have an ongoing discussion about their relationship throughout the melee. Meanwhile, tensions get ratcheted up in both the White House Situation Room and Atlantis, and they respond to events. Finally, the fight is halted when another party arrives. Superman! Uh, and they said that's how the issue ends of Superman finally getting involved in all of this nonsense. So this issue, I think, is almost like a comedy piece because it's pretty much entirely a fight. It's Aquaman and Mira just taking on the army back and forth, and throughout the whole thing, they're having a relationship about uh, a discussion about their relationship, which is sort of like a classic, you know, why don't we talk more kind of girlfriendy thing. And I think Abnet is sort of leaning into the skit a bit and just having fun with it of the uh, the absurdity of like. You're fighting off bullets, and you, there's one point where Aquaman stops a, a chopper in midair. It's about to crash into him, and he just stops it, pulls it right out of the air, which is great—an amazing feat of strength on Aquaman's part. Mira starts using her whole water power thing to draw the moisture out of the soldier. So, and all this whole time, they're talking about, you know, their relationship. It's just—I thought it was really very funny. It's very dry. I think if you read it on the first page, you think this is absurd. But then, I think. Um, on reflection, you kind of see the absurdity of it, which is, is really fun. And it's at the end, Superman comes in. I'm still not uh, really on board with Superman's new costume, the no wonder pants, and apparently no red boots. He's got blue boots. I don't like that much at all. But anyway, Superman comes in at the end of this issue, which is, uh, I think, I don't know if I said the title, is uh, Executive Sanction. So once again, I thought this was uh, really good. It is just kind of a big fight. Um, there's not a whole lot going on story-wise. It's really just this sort of discussion versus the fight. Uh, there's a scene where the White House calls the Sea King the most dangerous member of the JLA. I wonder how Batman would think about that. Um, art-wise, Briones, again, is pretty good. He's good at scene-setting, both the subplots in Atlantis uh, and in Arctica, which is where Black Manta meets the head of Nemo. I have a lot of interesting visuals going on, and I thought that was really pretty cool stuff. Uh, And once again, the cover by Brad Walker is just uh, amazing, really, really sharp stuff. So I would say it's pretty much on par with the issues I've read so far. So far, Uh, we'll get to number six in a moment, but Aquaman number one still remains my favorite, partly because, again, it's drawn by Brad Walker throughout the whole thing. But uh, this has all been, been pretty good. So that's Aquaman number five. And finally, we're going to move on to Aquaman number 6, which is Drowning Part 6, out of his league, again by Dan Abnett, drawn by Brad Walker, inked by Andrew Hennessy, and colors by Gabe L.T. Abbott once again. Aquaman and Mira find themselves face-to-face with the Man of Steel. Things get worse from there, leading to punches being thrown. Aquaman, fighting for his life and his people, manages to get a couple good shots in on Superman, as does Mira. Superman takes the abuse until a low rumble that signals an invading Atlantean army is heard. But before things get worse, Aquaman asks his people to stand down. Aquaman and Mirror head back to Atlantis, knowing all this has to be fixed now. And it says, next to lies the head that wears the crown. So while clearly this is a continued story, the whole drowning thing sort of comes to a conclusion. This is part six of six. So it is a bit of a, a period or maybe an ellipsis on this story. Um, I was really happy to see Brad Walker back. I, I said, I think he's a terrific artist. Um Writing-wise, it's funny to watch Superman just sort of take this abuse. I mean, I love that Aquaman is is really high-powered. I mean, he is, they have really ramped up his strength levels. He gets shots in at Superman, and this the idea that he would not even break his hand or something is sort of absurd because it's Superman. So Superman is clearly just taking this abuse. He doesn't want to get into a big fight with Aquaman and Mira, um, and then he does eventually had enough. There's a great panel where Mira punches Superman off his feet and he goes flying. There's a really great pose where it's like we're kind of on the ground looking up at Mira and like her feet are in our face a little and her head is off in the distance. It's a very Gil Kane-y type of panel and then there's a great moment where Aquaman tells everybody in Atlantis to stand down and in the background Mira is standing there with her arms folded looking kind of suspicious all over the, uh, about all this so I liked all that stuff I said I really like Brad Walker I think he does great stuff the final page features Aquaman and Mira underwater the colors are really beautiful uh, I used to go on and on about how much I like Rod Reese's coloring on the book uh, I think Gabe Altia does a really really nice job I know I say that word really a about uh, my apologies but it, that's a really effective uh, effective use of coloring here. Like I said, overall, it's good. I'm not, you know, I'm kind of like ready for Aquaman, the story of Aquaman versus the surface world to be over. Uh, It seems like the the Brad, uh, Dan Abnett, and maybe the, the DCU editors are sort of moving Aquaman into that Batman position where it's like, he's the rogue superhero. He's the one that will sort of go against the grain. And while I appreciated them doing that with Batman, I got a little tired of it after a while. And I don't want to see this of Aquaman this continued with Aquaman too much more. Um, I would like to, you know, I want him to be a hero again. I want him to be on board with the surface dwellers and have a good relationship. So I don't want him constantly being at odds. They did that in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and the 2000s. So I'm perfectly happy to see them move off that. Uh, this, I think this is a good intro. We get to see Aquaman and Mira as a team, you know, against everybody, which is nice. They're very loyal to one another, which of course is something I appreciate. So, Uh, I like all that, but um, I'm also ready to to move on to something else. And so I'm glad to see Superman, he says, fix this or else. So, you know, we kind of know what that means. He's going to go and melt Atlantis with his X-ray vision or something. So uh, I'm eager to see where this goes in issue seven. I hope that Brad Walker can do more issues than like every fifth one. He did one and then he did six. So I hope he's back before issue uh, 12 or anything like that. But so far, I think we're off to a good start. I think they've really ramped up Aquaman's powers. And I think that's probably something that they're going to get in league with with the uh, no pun intended, with the movie, making him like really, really extra powerful. So it was fun to see, you know, him fight Superman to a standstill, even if Superman again, again, I think is throwing things a little bit. So uh, overall, pretty good issues. I don't know if Aquaman needs to be biweekly. I know that's probably more of a sales thing. They have figured out that they can sell more copies of Aquaman right now and, you know, strike while the iron is hot. And that's great. But I wouldn't mind going back to a monthly thing if, if maybe we can get Brad Walker just to do every issue. I think Philippe Bruins has done a good job, but I really think Brad Walker is a, a very, very good artist, and he's doing a good job on Aquaman. I like the s- slight redesigns he's done on the costume. So, you know, I hope we continue on. I don't know how long we're going to be doing biweekly. We, they, are going to be doing biweekly. But for now, it's pretty good, and uh, so far I've been really happy with these issues. So that's Aquaman 4 through 6, the Drowning chapters 4 through 6, and with issue number 7, we're going to be moving on to something else. So that's my review of Aquaman's uh, 4 through 6. So we are going to play some podcast promos, Shag mentioned. And when he comes back, we, uh, he is going to be talking about Legends of Tomorrow, number 6.
0: So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight man I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki.
1: Is Wolverine Marvel... <laughs>
0: What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who is he? Huh? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Green Lantern in... Half the people here.
1: Everyone's half gone. Somebody's got to be half joking. The halfback has only half a back. Spindly
0: Klutz speaking. The game has just started, but it's half over already. As a kid, they let me play football only half the time. I was so rotten, it drove me half mad. Now my revenge, my power to make you all half disappear, you half-baked finks. Half of Hal Jordan steps into a place of seclusion, and...
1: Not half a second to waste. I'll use my ring to half-change into Green Lantern. I've an idea that's not half bad. I'll need your help, Mike.
0: Have half a delicious Hostess Twinkies cakes. Halfway measures again. I want it all. The whole golden sponge cake with creamed filling or nothing.
1: Only if you make half of the people reappear, you spindly klutz. And maybe I'll release my half Nelson on you. I'm just a half-back, but I'm glad to have the other half of my back back again. I was only half-joking. Maybe you'll only have to serve half your sentence. Yay! Yay, Twinkies, Twinkies Cakes! cakes. They're, They're all here! There.
0: You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies Cakes. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do... I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on thelongboxcrusade.com. And check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. All right, folks, we're back, and we're going to cover Legends of Tomorrow, number six, featuring Firestorm the Nuclear Man. Cover dated October 2016, released on August 17th, 2016. Cover price $7.99. Bring your checkbook for that one, folks. It's a heavy one. But this is the final issue. This is the last one of this anthology series, although um, there is no indication of that from anywhere when you read this comic. You just have to look at the advanced solicitations or realize there is no issue number seven, which we've talked about in previous episodes. It was pretty much what we suspected from the start. They were just simply winding out the six-issue miniseries that they had commissioned last year. So, Covering this thing is by Brett Booth and Norm Rappund. It's got Firestorm standing in dead square in the middle. He's the center of attention. He's got his fingers outreached towards you like he's going to blast you. In the background, you can see Metamorpho, Sugar and spike and the metal men and there's a lot of fire and like energy burning around his feet it's a little busy for my taste however i mean firestorm is is very dynamic looking he's very exciting looking the the other items are so so firestorm's really the main focus and really does come off looking better than the others while it may not be to my taste i i have to say it's probably going to jump off the wall the comic shop rack at some of the younger readers i think they're going to see this art and think it just looks totally awesome hey all the power to it so let's get inside this thing It is united we fall part 6 the conclusion written by Jerry Conway art by Eduardo Pensica and Rob Hunter colors by Andrew Dollhouse letter Corey Breen edited by Jessica Chen and Firestorm created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram ding Now, the story picks up where we left off last issue. Firestorm is being beat up and overwhelmed by an army of multiplex duplicates. Just as a reminder, the way Firestorm is right now, the body is controlled by Ronnie Raymond, while Professor Stein and Jason Rush act as the onboard advisors. Professor Stein is actually sharing the Firestorm body with Ronnie, while Jason is communicating via technology. While Firestorm is being overwhelmed, the Professor and Jason suggest to Ronnie that he try to turn intangible, lower his density, and pass through the ground to escape. Now, the way it's written, this might just be the first time uh, Firestorm's displayed this power since the New 52 reboot. He used to use it all the time, but it may just be the first time. Hmm. Anyway, it's kind of a neat scene. After Firestorm escapes, he starts putting his attention to stopping Multiplex's quantum field generator, because it's warping reality and allowing monsters from other dimensions to spill into our world and eventually is going to destroy everything. And just to raise the stakes a bit, the U.S. military has ordered a missile strike on Multiplex's hideout in hopes of accomplishing what Firestorm's trying to do. However, blowing up the base could actually make the whole situation worse. So now Firestorm's got two things he's worried about. Jason works to confuse the U.S. military radar and send the bombers off course while Ronnie and the professor fight through monsters to try and get closer to Multiplex's quantum field generator. Multiplex then, as does sort of an aside, and gives this interesting speech about the meaning of insanity. He says that we perceive him as insane from our singular coherent existence. However, since he's mentally operating through multiple possibilities and probabilities, he thinks we're insane for thinking so limited. So the destruction of this universe or world is not that big a deal to him because there's so many parallel ones. It's really interesting. I mean, of course he's nuts, but it still sort of makes an interesting speech. Ronnie won't give up, but the situation's looking very grim, and it's making the professor feel kind of hopeless. Then Ronnie gambles on one of their seldom-used advantages— Firestorm is actually two people, so Ronnie fissions Firestorm. They separate into the separate forms of Ronnie Raymond or Professor Stein. Ronnie uses his football experience and starts tackling the Multiplex duplicates, creating a diversion. Meanwhile, Professor Stein takes advantage of the distraction. Stein helps Multiplex's prisoner, Dr. Cunningham, and together they shut down the quantum field generator. The distortion field then collapses, taking all the Multiplex duplicates with it, reunite, and then they reunite as Firestorm. They grab Multiplex and Dr. Cunningham and start flying out of there just as the U.S. military bomber's find their targets. Multiplex wrenches himself free of Firestorm and leaps back into the base moments before it explodes. And we get this fantastic splash page of Firestorm flying out of the explosion carrying Dr. Cunningham with, with both Professor Stein and Jason Rush's floating heads looking on. Now, we rejoin Ronnie and Jason the next day, back at their high school. We catch up with the dangling subplots as well. Jason confronts his supposed friend, Monica, who's been slipping him roofies each time he was going for job interviews. She wanted the job instead of Jason and was going to beat him however possible. And Monica is very resentful. She feels that she always comes in second compared to Jason. She has absolutely no remorse. And Monica's expecting Jason to turn her into the authorities. But Jason decides not to. He says she's going to have to live with what she's done. And then Jason's going to beat her in the competition for that job fair and square. And it looks like, uh, you know, from a fan perspective, it looks like Jason's kind of found his own Cliff Carmichael. Ronnie has also made a decision. He's going to stay with his high school football team instead of accepting the scholarship from that other school. Even though he could have gotten into any Ivy League school with that scholarship, Ronnie feels he has to stay true to himself. And Ronnie finally understands the importance of being on a team. And that's uh, that's kind of a theme that's been going through all six issues so it brings it to a nice close. So, uh, while everyone's kind of like rah-rah friend-friend kind of thing, Professor Stein signals for Ronnie. Apparently Firestorm is needed. And Ronnie and Jason kind of run off to the side and Jason acknowledges that, you know, he's going to miss being part of the Firestorm Matrix now that he's Not part of Firestorm, regardless of how difficult Ronnie was to work with. And Ronnie says, Jason, you're not going to be missed because you're part of something bigger than the Firestorm Matrix. Jason, you're part of the team. So Professor Stein, Ronnie Raymond, and Jason Rush, the three of those together are Firestorm the Nuclear Men. And that is how the series ends. I gotta tell you, this story ended on a really satisfying conclusion for me. The story, each issue has been escalating, you know, the stakes have been raised every single time, but it ended on a real high note. The Firestorm character is back in the iconic form, you know, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein, and yet they found a way to, for Jason to continue alongside the character. They set up further subplots, including Multiplex, Major Force, General Eiling, high school friends, and antagonists, and a young hero, honestly, that's fun to read about. The, the, the story beats and the character beats feel real to the characters, and the banter's a lot of fun. Jerry Conway did such a good job giving uh, each character something to do, too. Like, you know, with so many, with three main characters, you know, some of could get lost in the shuffle, but Jason dealt with the military bombers. You know, when Firestorm split, Ronnie got to tackle multiplex and use the physicality. Stein used his sci- made with the science. It was a nice usage of all the pieces on the board. Now, the only downside of this is that as of right now, DC hasn't announced anywhere where Firestorm's going to appear. They really need to find a home for this character. And they need to keep Jerry Conway writing it, I think. Now, I realize I'm a little biased, but this is the first Firestorm story that has worked in a long time. The closest we got was Dan Jurgens on the Firestorm title. And before that, we had a few stories from Jeff Johns. Other than that, really, Firestorm hasn't been used appropriately in like 10 years this is the first time it's worked the, dc would be fools not to take advantage of this i mean i realize they might be worried about the confusion because the legends of tomorrow tv series is on the air and you've got a different firestorm there you have Jax controlling the body with professor stein or maybe they're gun shy after the sales of the new 52 book i don't know but they need to find a home for these guys for the nuclear men because the character works it's awesome and i could see it really gelling with uh, younger readers i think it would really really work and Again, I'm probably biased, but I thought it was spectacular, and I, it's gonna make a hell of a trade paperback too, folks. Now, also in the Legends Tomorrow issue, uh, the Metal Men story was a lot of fun. Uh, by the end of it, they had introduced a new character to the team called Copper, which they've done a few times before, so it wasn't that shocking. We, I think they introduced Copper in the Giffen DeMatteis Maguire run of Metal Men, but it's nice to see the, that team, you know, back on the right course. And, uh, the Sugar and Spike story was also, an absolute joy, just like all of them have been. There's a lot of super fun stuff with the Legion of Superheroes. You've got to read it if you missed it. It's funny. It's endearing. It's got the, uh, the the Silver Age Supergirl in it. And also, there's a bit of a nod to our buddy Martin Gray. I mean, not directly to Martin Gray, but you know his blog is called Too Dangerous for a Girl. And they make a joke about that line because it originated from Legion of Superheroes. So it's nice to see that, too. All in all, it was a really rewarding experience, and I know Rob covered the Aquaman books on the front end, but I got to say, I really enjoyed those two. They were a lot of fun to read. I'm really enjoying the Aquaman book as well. Well, folks, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. You can find my friend Rob, and I use the term loosely, over at AquamanShrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can also find him on Twitter under, uh, I think, every handle on Twitter, but a couple ones to look for, like Treasury Comics and Pod Dylan and Film and Water Pod and goodness gracious, all those. And, of course, you can find both of us at FireAndWaterPodcast.com. If you want to leave comments about this show, that's probably the best place to go. You go to FireAndWaterPodcast.com, look under shows, look for Aquaman at firestorm and you'll find this episode episode 176 leave some comments there and we'll be read them on a future episode once we get caught up on the feedback you can also find us on twitter as fw podcasts and we also have a facebook page for firewater podcast network you can find me at firestormfan.com also on twitter and facebook under the same handle i think that's going to do it folks until next time fan the flame and ride the wave Haven't seen you in a while, how have you been? Have you changed your style, and do you think that we've grown up differently? Don't seem the same, seems you've lost your feel. So let's leave it alone, cause we can't see eye to eye, there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy, there's only you and me and we just disagree.